0: The Economic Community of West African States, or ECOWAS, is an economic and political bloc with 15 member nations that as of 2019 had an estimated total population of more than 387 million people. The guiding ambition of this Union is to achieve collective self-sufficiency, the member nations trading between themselves and able to grow economically together, with a shared collection of understandings and norms sustaining that unity, among them maintaining stability, security, and since the 1990s at least, democracy in the region. Since 1990, 78% of the 27 coups d'etats in sub-Saharan Africa have occurred in former French colonies. And a band that stretches across this region has become known as the Ku Belt, referring to West Africa and the Sahel, which stretches coast-to-coast across a northern portion of the continent, sharing a rough climate and some historical and cultural norms as well. Almost all of the successful coups in Africa have occurred along this belt, and ECOWAS, which is located on the Ku Belt, has been trying to rebrand the region, converting it from a place of near-constant tumult and uncertainty and military rule, or the threat of military overthrow, to a place that is stable, where member nations look out for each other, come to each other's assistance when necessary, and grow their economies and the well-being of their citizenry through collaboration and that mutual support. All of which sounds great, and there have been some notable successes from this approach over the decades since it was originally formed in 1975 but a trio of nations, Mali, Guinea, and Burkina Faso, were suspended from the Union in May and September of 2021 and January of 2022, respectively, following military coups that changed their leadership, the new leaders of these nations in some cases preemptively closing their borders and cutting off relations with their former ECOWAS allies. A fourth nation, Niger, was recently booted from Ikawaz as well, following a successful coup d'état in late July of 2023, the fifth military coup in Niger since the country gained independence from France in 1960, though the last one was in 2010, so it has had more than a decade of democratic governance. What I'd like to talk about today is a standoff between Niger and their military government supporters in the region and ECOWAS, which is threatened to intervene in the country if Niger doesn't return its democratic leaders to their positions. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. There aren't many military dictatorships in the 21st century. This was one of the primary means of ruling for a long time, even if the military leadership was often concealed with pageantry and alternative terminology. But from World War II onward in particular, it became a lot less of a thing, and it was already on the decline leading up to that conflict. The wave of decolonization in the 20th century really kicked the number of democracies in the world into high gear though, and that then had a compounding effect, more democracies doing business with each other, which then encouraged other holdouts to join the club, benefiting from that enrichment and all the new alliances and security guarantees and such that were popping up all over the place as the US and its allies tried to counter Soviet influence globally. Almost always today, military dictatorships are temporary and serve the purpose of usurping one government and then replacing it with another, often authoritarian, top-down government. So you can have authoritarian governments that are not military dictatorships, but one often leads to the other. And military leadership in the shape of a general running things or a committee of military leaders called a junta in charge is not common. As of 2020, There were around 52 nations in the world with various sorts of dictators at the helm, with some variance depending on how you measure such things, and only 11 of them, again with wiggle room for interpretation, were military dictatorships. Of those 11, eight are located in Africa, and 6 of those are located on this coup belt from west to east, Guinea, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Chad, and Sudan. And all but one of the coups that put these military leaders in control has happened since the latter half of 2020. This trend is a recent thing. In August of 2020, Mali's military rode a wave of anger against the government over its failure to protect folks from violent, militant Muslim groups in the region and a stolen parliamentary election, arresting the president and forcing him to resign on state television, The country then had another coup in 2021, just nine months later, led by the new vice president against the new president. In April 2021, the president of Chad, who had been in office for about three decades, was killed in a battle, and his son was installed in his place by the military, without any election being held. There was actually a failed coup attempt in Niger in March of 2021, two days before a new president was scheduled to be inaugurated elements of the military attempting to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power which had never happened in the country before but which did ultimately go through when the coup was foiled by presidential guard members in september of 2021 a high-ranking Ghanaian officer who was apparently trained by american green berets to help him and his special forces colleagues deal with regional threats overthrew the country's president, Alpha Conde, who had tried to change the constitution to give himself a third term in office, spurring a bunch of protests and violent crackdowns against those protests alongside the imprisonment of opposing candidates. Conde was the first democratically elected president of Guinea following several decades of authoritarian rule, but he clung to power when it was time for a peaceful transition and that provided the opportunity for this U.S.-trained group of military specialists to oust him and take control instead. The following month, in October of 2021, Sudan's military seized power and overturned a transition toward democracy that had been in the works since a popular uprising in 2019 overthrew a dictatorship that had run the country for decades. And in September of 2022, the interim president of Burkina Faso was overthrown by the country's military for, ostensibly at least, failing to protect civilians from Islamist militant violence, that interim president himself having come into power via a military coup eight months earlier. So this is a region that has seen just an incredible amount of tumult over the past three years or so and which before that was already roiling pretty much constantly, beginning with colonialization, slavery, and all that entailed, segueing into a period of optimism and decolonization, and what amounted to enforced democracy by Western nations, and then a flurry of minor successes in that department punctuated by a whole lot of semi-regular failures, In some cases, the consequence of weak governmental systems, external threats, military threats but also ideological influences, and in general, at a base level, incredibly fragile economies often based on the harvesting of raw materials, which has ensured tenuous working conditions for civilians and a not-much-to-lose mentality for those who decide they want to take a stab at grabbing some of the profits from those resources for themselves a state of affairs that has often been reinforced by outside parties, including democratic nations in the West, that found it easier to deal with corrupt dictatorships of this kind for the purpose of locking in access to these vital raw material resources. There's a history of strongman leadership in this region as well, even way back before the age of discovery and colonization and everything that came with it, which does not guarantee authoritarianism in an area. But it does often set grooves in the road, as it were, that makes it easier to fall back into these sorts of hierarchy establishing habits, lacking some type of stronger, more convincing structure and system. And that seems to be true here, but also in other places around the world, at least at times. Now, in Niger, we have seen another coup. This one successful, the democratically elected leader of the country disappearing, apparently being held hostage and not being treated terribly well by the new military leaders, and that has made other leaders, those leading democracies in the region, uncomfortable as it builds upon that existing trend, but also because, as we've seen here and in other places around the world, military coups tend to be contagious, in part because seeing a successful one seems to inspire similar action from other nearby militaries, and in part because, in some cases, military leaders will support each other, knowing that they will be unlikely to receive support from their non-dictator neighbors. There are other confounding factors in this part of the continent too, as those concerns about Islamist militants, extremists who do a lot of killing and bombing and kidnapping throughout the region, and who are often linked to global groups like Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, they've been a pernicious issue that has led to a lot of foreign investment and other sorts of activity in the area, including support from entities like the US, which have trained military personnel for that type of fighting, and which have at least 1,100 troops in the area, but also the hiring of Russia-linked Wagner mercenaries to help these governments fight these militants and on-the-ground support from French military units, the UN, and other such international entities. All of which means this is not a straightforward one-military-saber-rattling-at-another-military situation. Niger is now under the control of its military. These other military-run nations are saying that they will back Niger in a fight if need be. The democratically aligned ECOWAS nations are saying they don't want another coup contagion and they are considering drawing a line in the sand to make it clear that future coups will not be tolerated in the region. And that would require some kind of military action, almost certainly on their part, potentially invading Niger to knock down this military government and put the previous or another democratically elected government back in control. But there are also all these other military activities and factions in the region which could be swayed to one side or the other, could use fighting between the dictator and democratic teams to their advantage, to take control of more area, to grab more resources, or they could team up to create their own larger force. And there are a bunch of resources on the line, Niger's government, having seen most of its international support, dry up following the coup including energy and food imports, from those ecowas aligned neighbors. So there's a chance for new alliances and relationships here if, for instance, the Russian or Chinese governments wanted to lock this new military dictatorship in Niger into place, either because they think they can deal with the new government more easily than a democratically elected government, or just to mess with the West, hoping to draw their attention and resources to this part of the world. They could provide money and food and guns and such, to bulwark the new government, and that would likely net them a new ally in the region, while also creating new headaches for those local democracies. Now, for additional context as to why this coup in Niger is being seen as especially fraught, 43% of jihadist violence linked to deaths in 2022, of which there were more than 6,700, occurred in this part of Africa. And that's up from just 1% in 2007. So this is a growing problem in the region, and a relatively recent one, that larger, wealthier governments are trying to get under control. And until this new coup happened, Niger was a focal point for the resources being injected into the region to fight these sorts of attacks and the people making them. The big fear for many is that, as is often the case in poorer parts of the world, A conflict in this area could become a proxy war in very short order, with Russia, China, maybe even Iran throwing support to the military dictatorships, the U.S. and France and other Western-aligned nations coming in on the side of ECOWAS and other democracies, and that would create a possibly generational conflict in this area. All these nations, by necessity, because of where the money is, recalibrating for full-on, perpetual military conflict, And that in turn, as tends to be the case, leading to the next series of issues in the region. A lot of well-trained, well-equipped people figuring they would make better leaders than whomever the population decides to elect. And that's if they don't just decide to join the Islamist militants or create their own military group, grabbing what they can of the resources being pumped into the area for the proxy fights between entities that are not directly suffering from the -the on-the-ground consequences of all those deployed weapons and resources. These sorts of conflicts are already big money for entities like Wagner, though, which has been openly operating in the region for years, hiring its troops out to whomever wants to pay them, which often means the military leadership in these recently coup-disrupted countries. Worth noting here, though, with all that potential for near-future disruption and chaos, is that some of these coups, while still violent and acting against the ideals of democracy, have been arguably justified in the sense that the people who were elected were clinging to power were enriching themselves and their friends and families at the expense of their citizenry and or were abusing their positions in ways that are generally considered to be anti-democratic and anti-humanitarian many of these leaders were not saints in other words and arguably deserved to be booted from their positions it's just that they were booted using tools that were also violently anti-democratic, which implies the checks and balances in these regional governmental systems probably were not up to the task to begin with, and the outside entities providing incentives for those in charge probably were not incentivizing the right things. Same as it ever was to some degree, but it's worth mentioning again and again that many of these conflicts are proxy conflicts, and that sometimes even stretches to the conditions that lead to coups, like the structures of government and the capacity of those in charge to enrich themselves while impoverishing their country. As things stand, this region is one of the poorest overall in the world, and has one of the highest birth rates in the world, which also likely plays a role here, as large numbers of people without much in the way of prospects Ways to make their lives better and provide for themselves and their families tend to disrupt things, including by launching coups against their governments. It's maybe no surprise, then, that most of those recent past three years or so military coups were headed by men in their 30s or early 40s, which flies in the face of global coup tradition, which has typically seen coup leaders in their 60s. There's a chance, before this episode goes live, that ECOWAS will invade or otherwise move against the new military government of Niger. And if not before it goes live, maybe sometime in the weeks following the publication of this episode. There's a lot riding on their willingness to make such a move and to take such a stand against military coups in the region. And there's a good chance they would find a fair bit of support from Western nations in particular, but also other democratic nations across Africa, if they chose to act in some way against the Nigerian military government. That said, there's also a strong suspicion that they will do everything they can to avoid such a conflict, as it really could negatively disrupt the growth they've managed to cultivate in the region over the past few decades, And history has shown that it's easy to justify away these sorts of things after a year or so, because most government structures are more stable when they accommodate the realities of the world around them, rather than trying to lock them all in to a more favorable, ideal shape. The most recent news is that the Nigerian military leadership is planning to transition back to a civilian government in about three years. ECOWAS says that's probably not going to work, They've allowed for a two-year timeline in the cases of those other militarily overthrown countries in their backyard, but three might be stretching it, even if those two-year promises probably won't pan out in the time frame expected. That said, ECOWAS may take a strong overt stand on this now, different from how they've responded in the past, but then surreptitiously back down from those statements and threats as it becomes clear the military leadership in Niger has well and truly taken control. As long as everyone involved can negotiate a storyline that works for them in the meantime, even if that storyline is just a narrative that allows them to avoid full-on direct military conflict for the time being, kicking the problem a bit further down the road, and allowing both sides to shore up their defenses and capabilities in the meantime. (laughs) The book I'd like to recommend today is called Built to Move, The 10 Essential Habits to Help You Move Freely and Live Fully by Kelly and Juliet Starrett. This book was apparently written by some exercise, lifestyle, health influencers. I don't know anything about their work beyond this book, but the book itself was pretty good and it focused on something that I feel is not as well represented in the health and fitness world, the idea of mobility, and especially mobility and continuing to be able to move and act and do what you want to do later in life. That's something that's been on my mind a lot recently. I'm 38, careening toward 40, and I want to make sure that I can continue to use my body as I want to use it long into the future, and this book focused on exactly that. There's some good actionable advice, but really the broad overarching framework and thinking the way that they are looking at this problem was what was really valuable to me. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of Built to Move by Kelly and Juliet Starrett. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find my other news-focused podcast, One Sentence News, wherever you get your pods or at OnesentenceNews.com. Please feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram and threads. And it's just Colin Wright on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week.